This is one of the few films, maybe, maybe the only film, where the audience finds ourselves rooting for the Indians. <laughs> well, I've been doing that for years. <laughs> From Chicago, this is The Unenthusiastic Critic, a podcast about destroying your marriage one movie at a time. everyone, and welcome to The Unenthusiastic Critic. I'm Michael McDonough. I write about film and television at unaffiliatedcritic.com. With me today is my lovely wife, Sits With a Scowl, also known as Nakia, also known as The Unenthusiastic Critic. Hello. On today's episode, Nakia and I are sitting down for her first viewing of Kevin Costner's epic 1990 western, Dances with Wolves, which is celebrating its 30th anniversary this month. So, Nakia, once again, we should probably acknowledge briefly that this is not the movie we announced at the end of our last episode. Uh, We had planned to do All the President's Men for an episode that was supposed to drop on Election Day. Then I ended up having a little medical mishap that weekend, and we weren't able to record. I guess we could have gone ahead and done it the next week anyway. We missed the, you know, supposed hook for it, so we just dropped it. And actually, if anyone has been listening attentively to our whole back catalog, which I assume no one has, they might notice that that's the second time we've announced we were doing All the President's Men and then not done it. It's not going to happen. I'm not sure what that's about. Maybe I just don't really want to do that movie, so I should probably take it off the list. But, you know, we'll save it for the next election day, maybe. Mm. Okay, so now having been off for a couple of weeks, we're moving on to the next thing on our completely arbitrary schedule which is the 30th anniversary of Dances with Wolves. And I think it's a good choice. I mean, the original premise of The Unenthusiastic Critic was that you would be watching movies that nearly every other person on the planet has already seen. We've ventured away from that over the years, watching some more obscure, cult, and esoteric fare. But that's that's the general idea. And I think Dances with Wolves falls pretty squarely into that category. This was a huge critical and commercial hit in 1990, and a definite cultural moment. How have you never seen Dances with Wolves? I had no interest in seeing it. That's always your explanation. That's really all it takes. <laughs> what it boils down to is you just didn't want just to. just was not interested. Yeah. Why is that? Uh, There wasn't anything about it that seemed interesting to me, or I don't particularly enjoy Kevin Costner. I don't not like him, but he's not someone that I go see a film for. I may not have had an idea of the running time at that point, but I may have, and if that was the case, then it definitely would have factored in. And I'm typically not interested in sort of films that strike me as potentially white savior narratives Mm -hmm. or narratives where a white protagonist sort of finds themselves because they sort of deign to live among some sort of quote-unquote exotic culture. So, I mean, basically all the reasons I didn't watch Avatar, and you made me watch Avatar. So, (laughs) yeah, it wasn't something that I particularly cared for. And I'm also just never going to, a Western, quote-unquote, is never going to be. You're not really a Western girl. It's not going to be the first thing I pick up, so. All right, well, obviously I think we're going to end up talking about a lot of that Mm -hmm. as we watch this movie. 
Let's do just a little background here. This movie was expected to be a disaster. It was written by Costner's friend Michael Blake, who brought it to him to star in, but no one wanted to make this movie. Westerns were completely out of fashion at this point. I don't know that in the entire 80s anyone made a successful Western. And this was an expensive, very long Western with much of the dialogue in subtitled Lakota dialect. Uh, No one was willing to put money into it. No one wanted to direct it. Costner finally made a deal with Orion Pictures to direct it himself. He had never directed before for a $10 million budget, which was much less than the movie was going to cost. Uh, They shot it on location in South Dakota, and Costner predictably went wildly over budget and over schedule. Partially, I'm sure, due to the scope and difficulty of the story, and partially due, no doubt, to the fact that he was a first-time director with no experience. They were still wrangling financing while they were shooting, and Costner supposedly put up several million dollars of his own money to make up the difference. So the rumors of the production problems quickly convinced Hollywood that this was going to be an expensive flop. It was referred to as Costner's Last Stand, or Kevin's Gate, in reference to the famous flop, Heaven's Gate. As it turns out, that prediction was wrong. On a $15 million budget, Dances with Wolves made $180 million domestic box office, and over $420 million worldwide. Adjusted for inflation, that puts it in the top 200 movies of all time, and makes it the highest-grossing Western of all time. This was the number four movie of the year worldwide, behind only Ghost, Home Alone, and Pretty Woman. So you've seen all of those? Yes. Okay, so you have to see this one. No, I don't. I saw the top three, so I'm good. <laughs> it was nominated for 12 Oscars and won seven including director, screenplay, cinematography, editing, sound, score, and best picture of 1990. Uh, Beating Goodfellas, which is a controversial Hmm. bit of Oscar history. Most people seem to think the Academy got that wrong. I I would definitely have voted for Goodfellas, but I don't think that makes this a bad movie. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen this movie in its entirety in probably 20 years. I do come across it on cable once in a while, and I'll usually sit and watch a few minutes of it. And every time I do, I think this was a pretty well-made movie. And I remember seeing it in the theater when it first came out and loving it. I was 20, I think, at the time. I think most people loved it at the time. It is a movie that has definitely suffered some backlash. Mm -hmm. I tend to think of it in sort of the same category as a movie like Forrest Gump. Which, again, everyone loved when it came out. It's a problem. And then you look back on it and you're like, yeah, there's there's some problems yeah. with this. A lot of that backlash is political and a lot of it is arguably deserved. But, you know, make no mistake, this was a quote-unquote woke Western oh, when it came out. Please don't use that word. <laughs> And in fact, a lot of the negative reviews at the time criticized it for being too politically correct. Hmm. Um, Dave Kerr in the Chicago Tribune said Costner's character might as well have been called Saves the Whales. Hmm. Owen Gleiberman in Entertainment Weekly called it a leisurely paced three-hour hippie western. A beautiful and soft-headed frontier epic which looks at Native Americans through New Age colored glasses. Hmm. The reviews in general, however, were glowing. Roger Ebert called it one of the best westerns he'd ever seen. Dances with Wolves has the kind of vision and ambition that is rare in movies today. It is not a formula movie, but a thoughtful, carefully observed story that asks for our imagination and sympathy. The movie makes amends of a sort for hundreds of racist and small-minded westerns that went before it. By allowing the Sioux to speak in their own tongue, by entering their villages and observing their ways, it sees them as people, not as whooping savages in the sights of an army rifle. 
This is one of the year's best films. And there was a lot of support from the Native American community. Writing in 1990, Scott Ross, in the Canadian First Nation publication Windspeaker, wrote, Movies have rarely, if ever, depicted the grace and inner spirit of North America's first people in the way Kevin Costner's Dances with Wolves succeeds. The production is being hailed by critics and natives for its honest and effective portrayal of a society too often slandered by Hollywood's fairy tale approach to Aboriginal history. The movie's honest, sympathetic portrayal of Native Americans is unlike any seen before on film, and shows the often devastating impact of history on an entire people through both sides of the conflict. And it's not like no one noticed that the star was a white dude. Uh, Percy White Plume, who is Lakota, had a minor acting role in the film, and says when it came out, everyone in the community was on board with it. The non-Native people got an inside look at us and how it must have been 200 years ago, and that part was good, he said. But he also said many Lakota did not like how the white hero dominated the movie. Mm-hmm. It was a white man coming into the Lakota country and learning the language and leading the way, he says. There were some bad reviews. Pauline Kael called it childishly naive, <laughs> said Costner should have been called Plays with Camera, and said the film was made by a bland megalomaniac. I don't, I don't know what you're going to make of this. Mm-hmm. I think the quote-unquote white savior thing is something we will have to talk about after we watch it. I will say I think this is probably a better movie than you think it is. Mm -hmm. Maybe a more interesting movie than you think it is. And at times, especially in the first half hour, 45 minutes, a weirder movie than you think it is. Okay. I don't honestly expect you to come out of this loving this movie. I think probably what I'm aiming for here is begrudging acknowledgement that it wasn't as bad as you thought. Okay. (laughs) What do you think? What are you expecting from this experience? Um, wasn't as bad as I thought. I mean, I think that's going to be a challenge, right? Because I think what probably seemed, I'm hesitant to use the word progressive here, but just for lack of sure. brain working, also what seemed in, the, in, in 1990 as a more progressive or humanistic portrayal of Native peoples in 2020 mm-hmm. will likely still seem... Possibly simplistic. I think that's fair. And yeah, again, it's centering a white person within a narrative that could have been about the native peoples and what, and so, and his sort of evolution and his growth, which is what I'm assuming. Like, I think that this is about- right. This is this is where I, to me, and I'm not. We can talk about it after we watch the movie. To me, it's it's less a white savior thing and more it crosses over into what we've talked about before, which is that kind of magical Negro mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. trope of. You know, it's about the spiritual development of the white character. And Mm -hmm. I think those tropes are related. But I Mm -hmm. think for me, this ends up being more the second one looking back on it. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I mean, that's a conversation in and of itself is how do we judge movies like that? Do we judge it by today's standards? I mean, it's hard not to. It's hard not to critique something from the context within which you stand. So I, you could, and maybe it's both and, you can appreciate something and say, okay, I guess for 1990, that was good. Mm-hmm. For 2020, it isn't. And let's talk about the fact that it didn't necessarily sort of trigger a revolution where we saw more Native voices in film. That didn't happen. That's um, fair. So, yeah, I don't know. All right. Well, it's a long movie, so let's get to it mm-hmm. and watch it, and we can talk about it afterwards. Very few movies need to be three hours long. I just don't 
understand. Now, there is a four-hour version of this. They call it the director's cut. Apparently, Costner actually had nothing to do with it, so Mm -hmm. it's an extended version. Uh, And I think one of the things that they extended it with is they put in more scenes of the native characters, so they fleshed out some of those characters a little more. So perhaps to give this movie the best chance to impress, we should watch the four-hour extended version. No, what you do is you cut all the white people out and then show me the version that's only the native people and then we'll watch it. Okay, so we're, we're going to watch the shorter one. Okay. That you've been decorated. Yes, sir. And they sent you here to be posted? Actually, sir, I'm here at my own request. I've always wanted to see the frontier. Do you want to see the frontier? Before it's gone. What about Indians? Indians? Goddamn Indians! my post. John Dunbar. and I watched Dances with Wolves, the short version. So, Nakia, you were decidedly not looking forward to this movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I said before the break, my modest goal was for you to begrudgingly admit that it was slightly better than you expected. (laughs) How how did we do on that? I mean, all the things that I went into... (laughs) went into it with are still you won't give an inch um it was not a terrible film no i did not find it horribly offensive but again like i who the hell am i right i'm not a member of indigenous community so as you know take that as far as it's worth so no it was not terrible do i you said it got 16 oscar nominations it got 12 nominations nominations? seven oscars i don't know that it was worth all that (laughs) including best picture and best director Hollywood uh, loves actors who direct, turn direct, yeah. mm-hmm. who turn director. And in fact, Scorsese, who was expected to win for Goodfellas, mm-hmm. previously lost. He was nominated for Raging Bull, and he lost that one to Robert Redford for Ordinary People, mm-hmm. which was a similar crime. Like, that's ridiculous. But for some reason, Hollywood just love Clint Eastwood's one, too. So whenever yeah. actors direct, that's... They've, they've got a... So I would have given it to Goodfellas, having now seen this one. 
I, I would too. But I do think this is a well-made movie. Sure. And I think parts of it are just stunning. Okay. I mean, sure. I mean, you the, do not. I mean, okay. Go to the Dakotas. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yes, the Dakotas are quite beautiful. Sure. You don't want to go to the Dakotas. <laughs> no, I think that they are beautiful. But that's what I was like. Is so. Yes, it it is. Yes, there are parts of it that are beautiful. Well, because it's also like to a certain extent, you put a camera on a Dakota Vista. Yes, that's going to be amazing because the Dakota Vista is amazing. But sure, yep. <laughs> All right. Was it different than what you'd expected? So the first, I don't know, maybe 20 minutes or so of it were different than what I expected a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but the majority of it was like pretty much exactly what I expected it to be. Mm, okay. And the, and the end of it was actually worse than oh. <laughs> I thought it was going to be. Worse in what sense? That little title card at the end just pissed me off. Ah, uh, okay. All right. We'll get to that. All right. Well, let's. I guess let's talk about that first 20 minutes. Okay. And that's the part that I said I think is weirder. It's an odd... It's There's some weird yeah. stuff in there. Yeah. I mean, we start out basically with his suicide attempt. Because mm-hmm. uh, he's supposed to get his leg chopped off on the battlefield, and he doesn't want to get his foot chopped off, so he decides to kill himself instead. Yeah. Here's what I'm saying. Okay. Big Mama in Soul Food was braver <laughs> about losing her leg to diabetes than, than, than Kevin Costner was in this film. I'm sure that's a reference that every single one of our <laughs> listeners will be familiar with, if not fluent, in soul food. Not gonna cut off my leg. <laughs> so yes, he was gonna lose his foot, and he was being a bitch about it. So instead of losing his foot, he'd rather lose his life yeah. on the battlefield. That, to me, is probably the most egregious shot in the movie. His arms outstretched, it's very the Christ-like, Christ-like pose martyr moment. As he rides into the the whole time, I was like, "What the fuck is he doing?" <laughs> but people are cheering on his side. I was like, well, "I'm confused, but okay." And the Confederates apparently lost the war because they're really bad shots, terrible shots. He rode past them twice, <laughs> and no one hit him. So, but yes, then he somehow comes out of that a hero. His foot never bothers him again, which is something I noticed this time watching. The- well, because the guy is like, oh, I'm going to make sure you get the best medical attention in the world, which is like, that'd be great. Still, he didn't even limp or anything. Offer that to the people who are actually still <laughs> fighting your war. But okay. <laughs> but yes, so he is given his choice of post because he attempted suicide and lived. <laughs> so he decides he'd like to see the, the frontier. Mm-hmm, before it goes away. Before it goes away. Mm-hmm. And then we meet this... Commanding officer, whoever Maury Chaikin's character, who is one of the weirdest characters mm-hmm. in any movie, honestly, I can think of. Mm-hmm. I was wondering. Yes. I was wondering, sir, how will I be getting there? You think I don't know? No, sir. You think I don't know? No, sir. It's just that I don't. Hold your tongue. I happen to be in a generous mood, and I will grant you a boon. See that peasant out there? He calls himself Timmons. He's going to your Fort Sedgwick this very afternoon. You can ride with him if you like. He knows the way. Thank you. That is all. Sir Knight? I just pissed in my pants. And nobody can do anything about it. (laughs) 
Yeah, we're obviously we are obviously catching him at the end of what has been a rough <laughs> period of time. The exchange between him and Co- Kevin Costner's character is very hostile and odd. And then he, he's gone crazy. He's Kevin Costner has walked into his office on the day he has gone crazy. And so he stands up from his desk and he says something to the effect of like, "I've pissed my pants, <laughs> and no one can do anything about that." And Kevin just walks out. It's like, <laughs> so yes, he's in the middle of some sort of syphilitic moment or <laughs> hell and gone to dementia i don't know what it is but yeah it's a very weird scene and i don't quite know why it's included i mean the uh, i mean he keeps he keeps calling kevin costner a knight yes so there's they're trying to do this sort of mythical right. quest thing but i feel like there were other ways you could have done that and um, then i guess him dying is like okay well that would have been one of the only other people that knew that kevin was out there right but yeah, it was it's 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 weird it's weird it's just like, I want to play an odd character. Can you just make me an odd character? And Kevin's like, all right, so yeah, you're going to piss yourself, and then you're going to shoot yourself in the head. In general, the white people in this movie do not come off well. No, they're all pretty disgusting. <laughs> they're all kind of subhuman. Except for Kevin, of course. Except Right, which has the effect of then elevating mm-hmm. Kevin Costner to sort of saintly mm-hmm. status among his people. Yeah. Just, all right, well, you know, we're not going to go through this movie scene by scene. But talk to me about Lieutenant John Dunbar. I find him to be <laughs> the least interesting part of this film. I mean, okay, so yes, as we were saying, in contrast to every other white person in this movie, he seems to be a man of character and a deep commitment to service to his country, at least at first. Mm-hmm. Someone who has a curiosity about humanity and so that he doesn't see, mem- you know, when he encounters the members of the Sioux tribe, it isn't automatically necessary. Well, a little bit of that, but it isn't all enemy. Right. His initial reaction. Right. His initial is reaction is right. And, but right. eventually he sort of gets because past that. Because he's steeped in the, right. the propaganda. It's been two days now and nothing. My presence here must have been reported by now. Have made all the preparations I can think of. Cannot mount an adequate defense as I am still alone, but will try to make a big impression when they come. Waiting. Postscript. The man I encountered was a magnificent-looking fellow. But this is a man without a... He isn't rooted in anything. He doesn't have... He's questioning everything about sort of what he's done with his life and, and, and how he's connected to the earth and what it means to be a part of something... I mean, he's he is an avatar for imperialist nostalgia. It's just this dream of a world that you help to destroy. That bugs the shit out of me. Um, <laughs> it just annoys me. It's like, you had a hand in the this. The romanticizing. It's like romanticizing um, of it, right. It's like, I want to return to the land, but you helped to destroy There, there were people who compared this to Lawrence of Arabia, which mm. has that same, I think that's a much, much better movie. Yes, yes. Uh, but that same sort of romanticizing of mm-hmm. that imperialist mm-hmm. desire. You're not invading a place. You are somehow right. embracing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it just, I mean, this is a film that depends very much on the viewer buying into the charisma of Kevin Costner. And I, I just don't. I, 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 meant I, to ask, a, I meant to ask you about a that. a hard problem with that. <laughs> like, I just, I don't think Kevin's a bad actor. I just... Having him narrate his journal, like there's no inflection really in his voice. There's very little humor. Nothing I've been told about these people is correct. They are not beggars and thieves. They are not the boogeymen they have been made out to be. On the contrary, they are polite guests and have a familiar humor I enjoy. 
Real communication is slow, however, and the quiet one is as frustrated as I am. Most of our progress has been built on the basis of failure rather than success. I've thought to inquire about the woman I found on the prairie, whether she lived or not, but it seems far too complicated a subject given our limitations. One thing is clear, however, there are no buffalo, and it weighs heavy on their minds. Yesterday's meeting was the best yet. It seems I've been invited to the village, and I'm looking forward to going. I just, he's a little bit dull for me, so I had a... Harrison Ford doll? Not that far. He's okay. not a mountain, but he is, like, yeah, I just... Is that your your universal reaction to Kevin Costner? Have I seen What about, like, Bull Durham, Kevin Costner, Tin Cup, Kevin Costner? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So in those, I think he had a little bit more humor, but he's always still this, like, there's a little bit of, um... A little bit of an asshole, like not, but not in like a mean way. Just like a, he's a little too removed from everything, or he doesn't super care. I don't know. It's a, it's a. He gives, he has a weird energy as an actor for me, where I don't fully buy in. I mean, in Bodyguard. Oh, I forgot about Bodyguard. <laughs> it sort of worked because he was supposed to be this like stoic right. figure that you know this impenetrable force or whatever uh, that she sort of broke down his walls. But it's like if you can't have charisma with Whitney Houston. <laughs> He had, a really, you, he had you, a really you, unfortunate haircut you, in that movie, too. It was movie a too. terrible haircut. It was a <laughs> terrible haircut. And actually, his haircut in this movie was not... And less about the haircut, more about the mustache that looked like this glued-on Fu Manchu thing. <laughs> and it was it bothered me the whole time until he finally shaved it off. I was like, thank God. What bothered me was when it got to mullet length. It's that just, was when well, I... I don't... Yeah. So I don't, I don't get the Kevin Costner thing, but... <laughs> sure. Okay. All right. Well, let's talk about the native characters. Okay. And again, this is what was supposedly revolutionary about this movie, mm-hmm. is that we had never seen uh, a Native American community presented in such detail and in such sympathy. Mm-hmm. What did, did that work for you? It worked in the sense that I wanted to spend more time with them mm. than I spent with Kevin. I would have liked, we were seeing them through his eyes versus just spending time with Right, with we have them. a few scenes where he's not there yeah. or in the, like the council mm-hmm. meetings. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, right. For the most part, we're seeing it through his eyes. Yeah. So, I mean, yes, I thought that they were all, you know, well, one, we only really got to spend time with maybe three. So there was Kicking Bird, who we spent the most time right, with. That's Graham Greene. Um, who I've seen in a, a bunch of stuff, actually. And yes. he's always really great. Yeah. And then Wind in His Hair, who was fantastic. Right. Rodney Grant. Who didn't have a whole lot to work with and yet was still such a presence. Mm-hmm. And Black Shawl, who was Kicking Bird's wife. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that, uh, Tantu Card and yeah. all. She's on Stumptown. Well, actually, I think Stumptown just got canceled, but she was on Stumptown. I, I think those were the main three that we actually got to... Sp- yeah, we spent some time with uh, Ten Bears. That the older? The, 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 the right, elder. The chief. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Floyd Red mm-hmm. Crow Waterman, I think his name is. But that's, yeah, that's about it. Yeah. And then there's a few others that we recognize. Right, but they're mostly sort of background for the most part. So, yes, I thought, you know, the ones that we actually got to spend some time with, I thought that they were great. And, yeah, I just, I would have rather the movie had been about them and their life and what they did. And I don't know, I feel like when with movies like this, the impulse is always to be like, and I this probably, I think this happens with any time that there is a, in any way, sort of humanistic um, representation of, of communities because like, oh, they had such dignity and they were so, and it's just so, it feels so fucking patronizing and terrible because it's like, well, okay. Like, so it's just, like, right. that's not, it shouldn't be, like that shouldn't be. So I'm, I'm also 
fighting the impulse to be like, oh, and they were shown with such great dignity, and they were, it's like, they had such honor, and their well, community. I mean, were, that's, I think that's the question with this movie is, you know, okay, they were not the savages, ignorant savages yeah. that we saw in mm-hmm. previous Hollywood movies, but is it simply just playing into the different stereotype of the, the noble savage, mm-hmm. the, you mm-hmm. know, spiritual and dignified and all of that? Mm-hmm. I'd never known a people so eager to laugh, so devoted to family, so dedicated to each other. And the only word that came to mind was harmony. Either way, there's not a lot of nuance. Particularly when you look at the scene where the Pawnee come to attack the Sioux. Right, well, that's this the movie Pawnee, gets to have it yeah, both ways. The Pawnee is, that's all that they are. They're like <laughs> fucking tomahawks and just right. total disregard for life. This movie is not and, moving away no. from the savage So it is absolutely playing both hands of the... Right. And so it's just like... So yeah, I... I yeah, I'm. This movie troubles me. I don't know. So I see why it was celebrated, but I'm also just like, eh. right. well, the Pawnee were not such fans of this movie right. either, and that's. And from what I understand, and I don't, I don't have deep knowledge or any knowledge on this really, but apparently the the tribes were chosen somewhat arbitrarily, mm-hmm. having more to do with the part of the country he wanted mm-hmm. to shoot in, mm-hmm. et cetera. So the history of the tribes and who was warlike and who wasn't and what, who was at fault and who what, like, I think, you know, there are Pawnee who say, well, actually the Sioux were invading our land at this mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know what the true story is, but I don't think the movie cares. No. It basically has the good tribe and the bad tribe. And in neither of them is there a lot of nuance. No. Or complexity. The Sioux, the Lakota, are wholly good. Mm-hmm. From what we see. Mm-hmm. And the Pawnee are wholly bad mm-hmm. from what we see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think, I do think with the Sioux, they try a little bit to, like, when there would be the sort of meeting of the elders or the meeting of the men of the tribe, mm-hmm. where they were sort of debating, okay, do we even engage with Kevin? I should stop calling him Kevin. But do we even <laughs> engage with Lieutenant Dunbar? Or, you know, whether when they were making a decision, there were dissenting opinions, oftentimes coming from wind in his hair, right. who was, who even admitted, like, I come from a place of anger. That's always yes. going to be my first yeah. response. As a per- so I do think that there was at least a little bit of a recognition of, like, there is complexity. There is nuance within this community. They then make a choice, right, to lead a certain way. Um, mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that that's how everyone would have led in that moment. So I, I think there's a little bit of that. But that in and of itself demonstrates the value of, like, actually spending time with it because you get to see that. Like, that conversation may have happened with the Pawnee that showed you, like, oh, there actually were people among the Pawnee who were like, yeah, we're maybe we don't go and chop the old dude up and, like, maybe let's think about something else. <laughs> 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 um, but the decision was made to do that, right? So, like, it's just... You think there was one guy in the Pawnee <laughs> tribe who was like, let's, let's bring him a blanket. Like, maybe <laughs> let's just talk to him. <laughs> um, he got shouted down. Right. But so, but when, when, it just, when it does become this sort of, when we start to depict people as these sort of monoliths, then that's where you start to get into problems of like, well, yeah. So I, yeah, I mean. There's, and I haven't, I have not watched the extended cut, but apparently one of the scenes they put back was a scene where Kevin Costner arrives in the camp and they're having one of their big celebrations because they just slaughtered the white. There's a scene in the movie where they find all the buffalo that have been Mm -hmm. skinned and it's, you know. White people have come through and desecrated desecrated the land mm-hmm. and wasted the buffalo and all of that. So there was apparently a scene where he comes into the camp and they are celebrating because they just went out and slaughtered all those white hunters mm-hmm. that had done that. 
that would have at least made his reaction to them a little more complicated, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. But they, they took that scene out. Mm. We don't see them go into the white camp and kill all the white mm. people and all of that. That's interesting, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I this movie was, to me, I mean, I think it was a little better than you were expecting. I think it was a little worse than I'd remembered <laughs> it. So maybe this is the rare case where we're meeting in the middle here. Mm-hmm. Because that, that lack of nuance did bother me. Mm-hmm in this and the fact that none of the native characters really changes or has any kind of arc wind in his hair does a little bit bit. Mm -hmm. but i saw this is writing earlier this year shay vassar a film critic and a member of the cherokee nation wrote what i thought was a fair even-handed mixed reaction okay looking back at the movie and she says you know native characters at the time were uncommon if they were seen they were usually the antagonists played by non-indigenous actors mm-hmm. in red face mm-hmm. she says not only did dance with wolves jumpstart the acting careers of native talents like west studi and tantu cardinal the film allowed audiences to see a more positive representation of the lakota while seeing actual indigenous people in the roles but she also says she also talks about the white savior complex thing mm-hmm. the brave white man in question experiences supernatural enlightenment a feeling of peace for all of that manly inner chaos as a result of his western adventure and she says i would add the label of manic pixie dream girl to the lakota characters hmm. their only duty is like the love interests in romantic dramedies as they help to facilitate the growth of the main character mm-hmm. and i think that's a fair criticism of this Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, our the perspective of the our perspective into the film is is through Lieutenant Dunbar, and so that is who we are focused on as an audience. That is who, what the narrative is focused on. That is who it's assuming the audience is. Right, is white people, and only cares about really. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, it is better than what I thought, <laughs> but it is not by any means. I, I, I'm, I don't see necessarily Oscar. At least not for... Did any of the Native characters get nominated or win an Oscar? Uh, I don't remember if any were nominated. None of them won. <laughs> uh, but Wes Studi, who plays the lead Pawnee warrior, the, the toughest Pawnee <laughs> warrior, mm-hmm. he was given a Lifetime Achievement Oscar last year or the year before. Hmm. I think this was one of his first movies, but he's had a long career since then. It was an honorary Oscar, but he was the first Native American actor to get an Oscar just a year or so ago. So I just, yeah, I mean, I I just found Lieutenant Dunbar to be the least interesting thing <laughs> about the okay. entire film. <laughs> and so that becomes a problem, right? It's just like, okay. okay, well, I just spent three hours with this person. and Did you buy his transformation? And I do like how the movie handles that because it's it's a slow movie. It's a yes. long movie. And that's one of the reasons I think it had to be a long movie. Mm-hmm. Because if... If this was a 90-minute movie, his transformation is not, you know, you're not going to buy that. Mm -hmm. But there's, like, you know, little steps and little... I like how he starts trading away his uniform and starts getting pieces of the Lakota uniform. He starts sort of swapping stuff out. More bad traits. (laughs) What do you mean bad traits? For the Native people, unfortunately. You You think they got ripped off? (laughs) Well, they usually did. That's what I'm saying. It was more bad traits. But, (laughs) yeah, no... I mean, there was that, but then there's when he goes, there's, and I can't remember if this is after the first time that he spends time with them or after it's been a little while, but he goes back to his post. <laughs> I knew you were going to And does like this fire yeah, dance I knew on you were going to have something to say about that. And like, it's this <laughs> kind of disgusting moment of, 
appropriation. It's and a little pathetic, is what it is. Playing at being a native, like it's just. Yeah. I'm like, oh no, he's that's all not... alone in his fort, and he decided to have a little war dance or whatever around his fire. And he's sort of just aping their movements and what and like you don't know anything about what that means. Mm-hmm. Like that's a real thing. <laughs> that is a well, ceremonial thing. And you're being disrespectful. And um, that's what, and that's another thing that I think watching this time, it's another criticism I have of the movie, is that what does he or we, through his eyes, actually learn about mm-hmm. this culture? Mm-hmm. Not really much. No, not a whole lot. Like, we don't learn anything about the spirituality. No. We don't learn, you know, we learn to sit in a tent and smoke a pipe. I mean, there's the broad, like, and again, this is right when, almost infantilizing of, yes. quote unquote, other cultures, right? Of like, oh, they're beautiful people. <laughs> or, oh, they love family. Right. Or, oh, they, you know, respect animals. And it's like, okay, sure, and, <laughs> like, what else? And so right. that's what we get. We get those sort of very simplistic understandings of a culture and you don't get the dip like all those tribes are very different and they all have their you know there's so much richness there and i don't think that we we get much of that if any at all so yeah when he starts to put on their garb or when he's wearing feathers in his hair there's a part of me and i know we're supposed to say oh well they invited him into that space and they've given him these things so they must you know feel like okay now he's part of the community we accept him one right of us. whereas i see you know white dude at coachella <laughs> <laughs> putting on fucking dream catchers and shit and i'm just like mm, i don't know that you have earned that so yeah and there's also the complication of for a very long time kicking bird is asking him okay so what's going on with the white folks and yes he won't tell <laughs> and he's not telling them yeah for a while yeah. Where they could have been preparing and they could have been making some different decisions until the very last minute, really, at least in the film, where he's like, oh, yeah, there's there's like a lot of white people. Well, that's what's funny about what he's actually doing is because it's almost like this fantasy of how the Western migration of the white people could have gone. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, we can be good neighbors and we can exchange culture and some of us can become part of that tribe and we can all live in harmony. Mm -hmm. He knows that's not true. No. He knows that's not what's going to happen. But he won't tell Kicking Bird that. No, because he's having too much fun. He's letting this fantasy play out and he's enjoying it himself. Yeah. And I think the movie acknowledges that at the end, which I give it credit for. Barely. Well, it's not a happy ending. But, oh, let's, so not get, let's not get there yet. Okay. Let's not get to the ending yet. <laughs> okay. we, got, we got a lot of stuff to cover here. Fine. <laughs> okay, we, haven't, we have not talked about Stands with a Fist. Yeah. <laughs> which is... I don't really want to talk about Stands with a Fist. <laughs> Mary McDonald's character. So, some tribe of indistinct origin that I don't think we're ever... Oh, no, it's actually... I think it was the Pawnee It is the Pawnee. Okay. (laughs) Of course, it's the Pawnee. The Pawnee attack her family's homestead or whatever. This is a a flashback when she was a child. And she was a little girl and basically murdered her entire family. She runs off. We later find out that she was found by Kicking Bird yeah. and brought into the Sioux tribe to and sort of grow up and raise a right. member of the tribe. So she is a white woman who has been raised Sioux, barely speaks English anymore, doesn't really remember anything about her white, yeah, <laughs> her white life. Um, but she then becomes sort of the conduit between Kicking Bird and, and Lieutenant Dunbar because she can at least 
start to understand English and he's like, I need you to work on it and try to talk to him because we need to find out what's going on with the white folks. Right. And she has her little, I can't, it's hard for me, I can't. It's like another white person who's refusing to fucking well, help we, the people well. that have helped you and literally saved your goddamn life. <laughs> well, okay, but I mean, when we meet her, she has literally just slit her wrist. She has, because her husband was murdered, and that's a bummer. Um, but I just, she's such a victim for so much of it, I'm just like... Standing with tears, you piece of shit. <laughs> Jesus, get your shit together. If you care about your people, you need to make this work. So, of course, she'd be spending some more time with Kevin Costner. You fall in love with Kevin Costner, apparently. That is what happens. Um, <laughs> Almost like it was sort of predestined. Yeah. But, <laughs> I mean, simply from a screenwriting perspective, the device of we're going to put a white woman... Because it couldn't fall in, in love with a native. Kid. Well, that's the thing. Like, that would be problematic on a whole, on other, a whole level, other level, too. Yes, it would. If he'd fallen in love with a Lakota woman yeah. and taken her away at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I almost give him credit for it, because it's like... <laughs> or he could have, we could have just not. We didn't need that, really. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what the answer is. And then it solves the translation problem, too. Sure. Like, you can have him start. Sure. It's, it's, it's a clever device, mm-hmm. but that's what she is. Yes. She is a device. Yes. I think she's good. I think she's good in the role. She's fine. <laughs> she has good hair. You, you, took a, you took against this white woman. I just, again, she's a device. She's not a real <laughs> character. She's a device. So, so, sure. She was, a, it was convenient. It worked out for the film. Yes. <laughs> that was lovely. What I'm saying is, if I have Kevin Costner and wind in his hair, <laughs> I, fi- I figured you with wind figured in his you hair. were going to respond to wind in his hair. I know, I know your type. <laughs> really? <laughs> All right. He wasn't married or anything, was he? That he we was saw? not. No. So. <laughs> All right. Did Did you let's Let's back up more broadly here. Did you enjoy the movie? Like, were you caught up in the story? Were there parts of it that you enjoyed? (laughs) Did you think the funny parts were funny? What were the funny parts? I mean, there's some funny bits in his, you know, interactions. Please to name for me the funny parts. (laughs) All right, fine. (laughs) How about the wolf and the horse? Did you like the wolf and the horse? I did like the wolf and the horse. There's something. (laughs) Though they were much too loyal to him. I don't know what they (laughs) saw in him at all. Um, but yes, I did like the wolf and the horse. I loved the buffalo hunting scene. I thought okay, that was that's, that's when I said there are stunning scenes in this. That scene is unbelievable. It is, it is a gorgeous scene. It really is. A, and especially really when you remember, scene. no computers. This is yeah. not CGI. Yeah. This was, they shot that with 3,500 buffalo. They shot it over a couple of weeks of every day stampeding the buffalo for five minutes <laughs> and then spending the entire rest of the day rounding them up to do it again the next day. It's a fucking incredible, it's one of the greatest scenes ever captured, I yes, think. Yes, no, I thought that that scene was one. It, was, it really was amazing. Um, there were two trained buffaloes, one of which... They borrowed from Neil Young, and why Neil Young has a pet buffalo? Of course, that's Neil a Young whole, has a buffalo. There's a whole story why there. Why wouldn't Neil Young have a buffalo? <laughs> really, you're surprised by that? I'm not at all. But the other one, the one that charges, there's the kid smiles a lot. Is that what mm-hmm. they call the kid? Mm-hmm. There's one that charges, it smiles a lot, and Kevin Costner saves his life by shooting the buffalo. But that buffalo, I don't remember his name, but. <laughs> He apparently worked for Oreo cookies. That was, he was, when he was charging, what he was really charging at was a plate of Oreo cookies. Because that was how you got him to do what you wanted him to do. Okay. So that, okay. (laughs) (laughs) 
Let's also talk about the introduction of diabetes to the native community. <laughs> Wait a minute. He gave them a shit ton of sugar and did not tell them. <laughs> that this was like... Okay, that's that's a whole other issue. I wasn't I wasn't even going. Let's talk about guns, germs, and steel. Let's talk about that. He didn't give him whiskey, which is he gave him coffee, which is a drug, and then he gave him a pound of sugar and didn't say you maybe want to be moderate your shit with this. <laughs> And what we know now is that there is disproportionate preponderance of diabetes on reservations because the government continues to feed them shit food like Oreos and package process <laughs> it was, nonsense. It was the buffalo that was eating the Oreos. Still, you're the... you're introducing Oreos to buffalo. I don't believe buffalo are supposed to eat Oreos. I don't think that's good for them. <laughs> I, did. I, I didn't bring it up as part of a you know. What I'm saying is <laughs> public service. It's message. part of a fucking pattern. White people bring sugar to shit that doesn't need sugar to destroy them later on. Uh, so, so you like the buffalo hunt? I did like the buffalo hunt. <laughs> I'm trying to go back to some positives here. No, it is a gorgeous it scene. Is. And properly cinematically majestic mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. a way that I don't think a lot of movies. Um, somebody, one of the reviews I read talked about this as being one of the last movies of its kind. And I think mm-hmm. I think that's true in a lot of ways. I think both in subject matter and mm-hmm. all of that, some of, in some ways that are problematic. But also just in terms of that, of the filmmaking, mm-hmm. it's old fashioned filmmaking, it's pre-CGI, it's, yeah. Um, what else? So is it a white savior movie? Because he doesn't actually save anybody. He doesn't actually save shit. Well, anybody. I mean, his I mean, guns saves, come in handy. He's, right. He saves the kid in the buffalo hunt. He saves the camp. Mm-hmm. When, like, all the men are away on a war party, right? Mm-hmm, that's when the Pawnee, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And Kicking Bird has asked him to stay behind and protect the camp. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, he gives them all the army's guns, mm-hmm. which is which is another one of those moments that he's just, like, moving closer and closer to this person he's going to become. Mm-hmm. So, no, I mean, I think there is, there's definitely a little bit of the white savior thing, but to your earlier point, I do think it is a little bit of the manic pixie dream girl trope of there. The purpose of the Sioux is to help in his development as a human being and help him find himself, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. And does he? I mean, I guess, sure. He becomes dances with wolves. So I guess he finds himself. And then in the last, what? 45 minutes of the movie mm-hmm. it was it was right it was almost the exact moment where you said how much of this fucking movie is left <laughs> that we get the white people come back mm-hmm. and i and i actually thought that was interesting because the point at which you said how much of this fucking movie is left is the point at which you could have ended this movie with a happy ending mm-hmm. right he's he's a full member of the tribe he's married stands with a fist he saved the camp blah 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 yeah, it's right about then that he has that conversation with, with Kicking Bird. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he finally tells Kicking Bird that the white people are coming. There are going to be a white, a lot of white people. Yes. Um, and that they, they are not going to stop. And they are going to, they're going to take over. Tona au kitekihe. Slo yaya yachinyelo. Kola lila ota. How many? Like the stars. We chompy. We chompy. 
Lakota ki tanta hapi nihimi cielo. Metowik chamana ukia kapo. That's a that's a great scene. Mm-hmm. I like that scene a lot. Mm-hmm. I think Graham Greene is very good in that scene where it's you know he says he says how many mm-hmm. are coming and Kevin Costner says like the stars yeah. more than you will ever be able to deal with. Yeah. Um, I think we talked about that scene when we watched Avatar, which and Avatar is very clearly it's, yes. dances yeah. with wolves <laughs> on another planet. Yeah. But I think I remember saying at the time that was one of the differences because Avatar has that happy ending. Mm-hmm. And it's not realistic. And I guess we're going to get four more Avatar movies or something at some point. So we'll see. Yeah. But it's like, that planet had all that, whatever the supposed unobtaining yeah. or whatever the fuck it was called. It was something stupid. But it's like, the white people are going to be back for yes. that. You're not, they're not going to leave you alone. And that's what they acknowledge at the end of this movie. Mm-hmm. So does the movie get credit for that? Credit for acknowledging that white people are going to, the sort of inherent greed of, America and I guess they didn't really have any option on that, did they? No. That was there was nothing. What was going to happen? We were watching it in 1990, <laughs> so we knew what the, the country looked like at that point. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how did that last section work for you? I mean, I think it was fine again until that sort of end title card. So he realizes that he's left his journal at his post, and the journal has basically everything about the tribe and what he's been doing. Um, And so he wants to go back and get it. So he does. And the union soldiers are already there Mm -hmm. waiting for him. They mistake him for a native American and basically capture him at first. They kill his damn horse. They kill his horse. And then later they kill the wolf. They kill the, it's just, there's white people are dicks. They really are. But so those, and those white people were again, just particularly, particularly (laughs) repulsive. The guy's out in the field wiping his ass with the pages of the journal because he can't read it. It's, yeah. It's bad. But he basically, they're they're, they're basically saying, you know, we can forgive you for what is essentially treason if you tell us, you know, where where they are. Right. And you you serve as a translator. And translator. And And so he has his moment where he's like, first he says, he does say, I'm Captain John Dunbar. Right. I was sent here. This is my post. This is a legit post. And whatever. And then when, as he starts to have this confrontation with the soldiers, he's like, you know, my name is Dances with Wolves. I'm not telling you shit. We're charged with apprehending hostiles and recovering stolen property. Retrieving white captives taken in hostile ratings. There are no hostiles. We will ascertain that for ourselves. Now, if you'll guide us to these camps and serve as an interpreter, your conduct will be reevaluated. What conduct? With all due respect. Your status as a traitor might improve should you choose to cooperate with the United States Army. There's nothing for you to do out here. Are you willing to cooperate in that? Well, speak up. What's that? Right. So they basically take him as a prisoner and... They beat him a lot. They beat him up a lot. He gets they're, beat up they're definitely a not lot in this movie. Following Geneva protocols. Um, <laughs> yeah, they beat him up a lot. They, like, they stole his journal and... Uh, 
I guess they're taking him back to somewhere to be tried or mm-hmm. I don't know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But Kicking Bird realizes that it's been too long. Something's happened. Right. He's not coming back. And so he sends Wind in His Hair and two others to go back to the post to see what's going on. Right. And they descend upon those soldiers and murder them all. Pretty efficiently. Yeah, it's really well done. <laughs> Okay, so then, yeah, so then we're we're at the end of the movie, mm-hmm. and he returns to the camp. The camp is moved to a winter location. He tells them, basically, you're going to have to move again. you got to keep moving. And he says, they're going to be looking for me. Mm-hmm. Plot perspective-wise, I'm not sure. Like, I think thematically, I like the fact that he doesn't get to stay with the tribe. Right. He doesn't get to stay in, quote-unquote, paradise. Mm-hmm. Like, he... He hasn't earned that. He doesn't deserve it. He can't stay there. He's sort of cast out of that. From a plot perspective, I'm not sure how his leaving them is going to help. Unless he goes and turns himself in, mm-hmm. which it doesn't seem like he's going to do, because he's leaving with, stands with the fest. He's right. leaving with his wife. Well, he says some nonsense about, oh, I can go and like talk to them about... Talk to people who will listen. Nobody's going to listen. We know that There's that's no... not a thing that happens. Like, they don't... Right. Is he planning to go back to town and become, like, some sort of goodwill ambassador? it's not going to work. No. So, yeah. And this is where I come back to, like, is it a white savior movie? Because I don't think he actually saves Mm -hmm. anything here. Mm -hmm. And then we get that title card that you take issue with. Because it's basically like, oh, and also all the Native people are gone now. It is. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like... (laughs) Yeah. The buffalo are gone. Everything is gone. The horse uh, culture, the horse culture is, gone. is gone. The American frontier is gone. Right. So one, it's this like bullshit passive language. I'm just like, well, because you destroyed it. Right. One. But then two, we have a tendency to erase native people. They're like, oh, and they all just went extinct. Right. They're all just like, nope. nope there are still, <laughs> That's not what happened. There are still <laughs> native communities in America. <laughs> Very much so. They are still fighting for their land rights. Yep. They are still fighting for their sovereignty. Um, and so this erasure of them, it's it's a way of sort of letting us off the hook of like, oh, well, that's they're gone now, like the yeah, fucking dinosaurs, no. and there's nothing I can do about that now. It's like, well, actually... <laughs> I agree with you, because it is, it's like putting this little bow on mm-hmm. it at the end, and it lets us feel like, oh, this is something that happened a long time ago, and wasn't that a shame? Mm-hmm. And it also is, like you said, like just the language in that title card, it's romanticized. Yeah. Um, what it reminded me of was the title cards that open Gone with the Wind, where it's like the vanishing South Mm -hmm. and the romance of the old South. That time is gone now, Mm -hmm. gone with the wind. (laughs) And that's kind of how this movie ends. Yeah. Now, I'll I'll give you a couple of pieces of information here that I think sort of typifies the good and the bad of this. Kevin Costner was made an honorary member of the Sioux Nation after this movie. Really? He was. Okay. And then a few years later, Kevin Costner tried to open a $100 million casino and resort oh, Jesus. on uh, what the Lakota considered stolen land. And they protested him and mm-hmm. had a big problem with that. And that deal eventually fell through. It didn't happen, but it was, he sort of fell fell out of favor because he was going to open a hundred million dollar casino golf course and resort that he was going to call the Dunbar. Ew. <laughs> no, really, dude? Yeah. Okay. That's what happens when you get high on your own supply. <laughs> Which is not surprising from someone who thought we wanted to see that much of his ass in a film. 
Like that was his choice. You directed it, so that was your choice. I think Pauline Kale got on him about that too. You can't even blame that on another director and be like, "Oh, they wanted me to yeah, show no. my ass." Like you made that choice. Yeah, it was like ten minutes of your ass. I think, pale, I think my ass is looking pretty tasty good. Tasty white ass. I'm gonna play this whole scene naked. So of course he did some dumb shit like that. Okay, anything else to say about Dances <laughs> no, with Wolves? I don't have anything else to say about this movie. It's a damn shame what they did to that dog. <laughs> the dog, oh, the wolf? It's a quote from Coming to America. It's, I think about it any time a dog dies or any animal really that dies. I mean, it's a damn shame what they did to that dog. <laughs> Would you recommend people no. watch this movie? <laughs> no. You didn't even let me finish no, the question. not really. I mean, if they like Kevin Costner and Westerns, Buffalo. Buffalo. Sure. <laughs> Otherwise, no, I don't know. Fair enough. That's our show. We want to thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us again for the next episode of The Unenthusiastic Critic. Nakia, next week will be our last episode in November. I thought you were going to say our last episode ever. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> And November, of course, is Noir-vember. I hate Michael. <laughs> you, you have, this, this is the hashtag created by professional film fanatic Maria Gates, making November a month-long celebration of film noir, and you take issue with that mm-hmm. portmanteau. Don't like it. <laughs> it's not that you don't like noir. No. You just don't like hashtag noir I just don't, because noir-vember is just the <laughs> mouth movement that has to happen to say that where it's just awkward nonetheless we always like to join in and watch at least one film noir in the month of november so next week we're going to watch one of my favorites alexander mckendrick's sweet smell of success from 1957 starring burt lancaster and tony curtis i actually think you'll like this one uh it's got great incredibly caustic dialogue it is to quote the film a cookie full of arsenic In the meantime, you can find us on the web at unaffiliatedcritic.com, where you can find additional episodes, subscribe to the show, leave us a comment, or make a donation to support our work. You can also find us on Twitter at Free Range Critic, or send an email to michael at unaffiliatedcritic.com. In any of these places, we encourage you to suggest a film Nakia desperately needs to see to make her life complete. Until next time, remember, true love means conning your partner into watching movies they really, really don't want to watch.